Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Joining us right now, Phil Savage, Senior Bowl Executive Director, Crimson Tide Color Analyst, former NFL GM, and also an author of Fourth and Goal Every Day, Alabama's Relentless Pursuit of Perfection. Phil, good morning. Thanks for joining us as always. How are you? Good morning, guys. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, we are. We are doing very well. Uh, so this is an important time of year for you right about now. This is where it all starts ramping up. So what can you tell us about uh, you know, this year's version of the Senior Bowl that's going to be right around the corner? Well, it's always ramped up, but this is certainly where the, the drawstring is pulled and it all comes together. But, yeah, we've got uh, – over 100 invites out there, and I think as of last night, we have close to 80 acceptances back. So we're starting our own countdown to January the 27th, and uh, the rosters are shaping up well. You know, the one thing about our game that I love about it is, and one of the many aspects I really enjoy about it is the fact that, you know, there's, there's no limitation on small school players, and typically we'll have one prospect at each position this year we have a number of small school players at a variety of positions and it gives them a chance to really compete on that biggest of stages against some of the best in the country and then it gives them the access to get in front of the teams off the field to interview and make a first impression that way phil what what are some of the criteria before the invites go out how do you determine who's going to receive an invite you know brian really after the draft ends uh, last spring, May 1st or so, we really begin putting our list together. We have a watch list that goes out publicly in August. We had over 400 names on it. And then between, you know, my own scouting work and we have a number of uh, either former scouts or yet-to-be scouts that are out there spread across the country, they get game assignments. I think this year we hit over 300 players, saw them in person throughout the course of the year, either in practices or games, of course, on videotape. And then once we get to probably the middle of October, we start to to divvy it up and formulate these north and south rosters. The first round of invites went out November the 1st, and then we've been filling in ever since over the month of November, and now we're getting, you know, the vast majority of them back. And and what's the big – I know there's a huge NFL – uh, involvement with your deal. So uh, other than that, what's the big point of difference between your bowl game and the others? Well, I would say, first of all, because of that partnership with the league, you know, we end up with two NFL staff uh, coaching the game here. So if you're a player that was in a program that runs what I would call a college offense or a college defense, now all of a sudden you're transitioning to the NFL and Everybody gets a chance to see you make that adjustment. You know, a quarterback going under center, uh, a linebacker playing on the line of scrimmage over the top of a tight end. You know, just little subtle examples like that. 
And, of course, uh, this is somewhat the unofficial convention of the NFL. You, you compare this venue to any of the other ones throughout the year, there'll be almost a 1,000 NFL people on the ground here in Mobile. That's the highest volume of NFL people in terms of the concentration in one city throughout the year because at the Combine, everything is staggered by position. Coaches or scouts are coming in and then leaving, specifically the coaches. So it's a, it's a real chance to compete and connect. That's our little hashtag down here. And, you know, we've had some really good high-profile players in recent years, from Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, to Derek Carr, to, to Russell Wilson. So it's a, it's a real opportunity to set the narrative for yourself heading into the Combine and the pro days and the rest of this pre-draft run-up. Gio and Jones with Phil Savage. Why was Alabama the right choice to be the fourth team in the college football playoff? Well, Gio, I would say they definitely came in through the side door. I mean, when you're a non-conference champion, that means you had to do a lot of things right during the course of the year. I think the committee gave Bama credence for two things. Number one, they, they recognized them as being the top one or two teams in the country for the better part of the year. And then secondly, their loss to Auburn on the road was more palatable than the Ohio State 31-point loss on the road at Iowa. And I think that really was the difference, ultimately. And they'll never say it. It was never discussed. But the pink elephant in the room for them was the fact that Clemson was the number one seed going to New Orleans. We had seen them play Ohio State as recently as last playoff, 31 nothing, And we've seen two classic games with Alabama. So, I don't think that was ever brought up verbally, but the, the nonverbal communication of a repeat of that matchup, I think it definitely had, had at least an influence in that committee room. Oh, yeah, wink, wink. Man, you know how many, how many tickets we could sell for this one? They probably sold out as soon as they announced that Bama was four and Clemson was number one and being in close vicinity, Alabama, to New Orleans. So that's a good deal for them. Let me ask you about the health of Bama because a lot's been made about the, the linebacker room and how much attrition they've experienced there. Now, we saw a majority of the guys back in that Auburn game, uh, but Sean Deion Hamilton, is he about the only one who's possible that's not going to get a chance to play in the Sugar Bowl? Yeah, I think he's the one that's definitely been ruled out because of the, the nature of his knee injury back against LSU. And you know, I think one of the misnomers, Brian, with the three of the other guys getting back, Mac Wilson, uh, Terrell Lewis, and Christian Miller, is that, you know, Wilson got hurt against LSU, so he had played some, but he was primarily a rotational, situational backer and special team player. And then the other two got hurt in the first game against Florida State. So their experience level, you know, they don't bring a deep resume. I mean, this isn't like you're getting Wilbur Marshall, Otis Wilson, <laughs> Mike Singletary back. I mean, you're getting three players that will help their depth, but they don't have a ton of play experience. So I tell you, these practices in December, these are the most important practices Bama's had, in, in, to, in, to my knowledge, in years. And that's been one of the real secrets to Nick Saban's success at Alabama is when they have improved and elevated throughout December and then shown up almost as a different team uh, December or January 1st, rather, you know, it was, it was very noticeable. Last year, that didn't happen so much against Washington. It clearly didn't happen against Clemson. So I'm really expecting Alabama to be 
not necessarily a different team, but an improved team, certainly from the one that we saw down on the plane. What type of game do you think we'll get with them and Clemson meeting once again? Well, it'll be a different cast of characters. I mean, last year Deshaun Watson was a a preeminent talent and leader for Clemson. Alabama had that dominant defense. Seven prospects went off that defense into the NFL draft. So it'll have a different feel, I think, from an Alabama standpoint. Clearly, last year, two for 15 on third down. They continued to give the football back to Clemson. Clemson scored 21 points from play number 80 to play number 99. So I think it's pretty easy to say time of possession, play and keep away. Bama's best defense will be an efficient offense. That means they've got to be productive on first and second down to set up more manageable third down situations where Jalen Hurts' legs can really make a difference. But if Clemson sets Alabama behind the stick like they did last year, it was third and nine, third and 11. There were some false starts mixed in. Bama really had had trouble throwing themselves, you know, out of out of trouble from behind the sticks. So that's going to be really, I think, a, a top, top priority for the Tigers. What are your impressions of this Clemson's uh, defense as opposed to last season's Clemson defense? I think they're, uh, they're more experienced and, and better across the board up front. Uh, they don't have as much experience and probably not as quite as talented as they were in the back end uh, a year ago. So, again, it's a different group of players. But I've said, as many have since really August, that Clemson's strength this year was that front seven, the front four specifically. Uh, it's arguably the best group of defensive linemen in the country. They have more or less controlled and dictated how the opponent uh, played against Clemson, and, and that's been their strength while Kelly Bryant has steadily improved. He's had some ups and downs, but he certainly was at his best against Miami. Gio and Jones with Phil Savage, Senior Bowl Executive Director, Crimson Tide Color Analyst, former NFL GM, and he's got that book out, Fourth and Goal, every day. Uh, you, as every time you come on, I bring up the fact that you were the general manager of the Browns when they had a winning season. <laughs> uh, but generally, smart people go there, and they don't act so smart. And we see another firing, Sashi Brown being the latest one, John Dorsey going in. I don't know how well you know Dorsey, if at all. But uh, what do you think about the latest regime change at your old position with the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, I would say that uh... – Obviously, John Dorsey is a football man, and they're going to transition away, uh, not completely from analytics, but more towards the instinctual scouting and what they're seeing with their eyes and what they uh, think about these players from a personal and ability standpoint. Uh, I think John Dorsey is one of many who raised their hand to say, you know what, I'll go into Cleveland with all these extra draft picks and almost $100 million in cap room. Uh, if they make wise choices, they could really put a pretty good team together. And, you know, that the struggle there, as you guys know, and it's been well documented, there's just been no continuity through the years. I mean, not only in coaching and scouting, but PR, ticket sales, stadium management. I mean, it's been a difference group of people virtually with every regime and it's just no way to compete when you look across the division and see Cincinnati with Marvin Lewis for 15 years the Ravens have had 
basically three coaches since they came to Baltimore in 96 and in Pittsburgh, you know, has been the, the definition of, of stability through the years. And in that league, you've got to have some level, some degree of continuity between coaching, between the GM, and between the quarterback. Cleveland's had none of those things. Maybe John can bring it to the table. I don't know, guys. Maybe there's something in the water there in Berea. All of us <laughs> do something crazy when you're there. <laughs> uh, Phil, is there a place for analytics in in football? I, I know it works elsewhere. NBA, we're seeing it with the Houston Rockets. Of course, in baseball, that's where it pretty much uh, really made a name for itself. But is there a place for that type of, uh, you know, that and putting that into the equation when you're trying to piece together a football team? I personally think it's easier to quantify in basketball and baseball because it's a little bit more individual, yes. individualized sports. Uh, obviously, basketball is less number of people. I think it's tougher in football to do. But listen, I wrote a chapter about it in my book, how the Cowboys and Gil Brandt had a huge influence when Gil came in and consulted with the original Browns in 1992, put in a system. It was not as formalized as analytics is now. It was just a different name. We called it measurables. We called it standards. We called it prerequisites. You know, it was just termed differently. I think it's gone to a different level now. There's, there's definitely a place for it because everybody else in the league is using it, and you don't want to fall behind from a technology standpoint or an intellectual property standpoint. So there's a place for it. I just think it's hard to quantify when you got 22 people out there in a rugby scrum. You know, and mm-hmm. sometimes the people that are grading the tapes don't know exactly what the assignments were for the left tackle or the right defensive end or whatever the case might be. So I think it's just a little bit more – it's a little more subjective to me, and, and it's more black and white in baseball, clearly – and even basketball because of the lesser number of players. Yeah, Gio, it's like you and I, more black and white, okay? Yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> he's, hey, he's the black one. Yeah, so. in case you couldn't tell. Uh, before we let you go, I want to ask you about the other matchup in the college football playoff. Uh, I've been going back and forth on both of these games. Uh, I, I'm leaving Alabama currently up against Clemson, but uh, Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winner, o- Oklahoma in this offense that can just post numbers like it's no one's business going up against Georgia's and that running game, I don't know if anyone can stop that running game, uh, the way they ran through Auburn in the rematch. Uh, how do you see that one shaking out? Yeah, it's going to be a contrast in styles. And, you know, in the simplest terms, Oklahoma wants to turn it into a track meet and Georgia wants to uh, turn it into a wrestling match. And so much like Alabama, I think Georgia's best defense will be an efficient offense. And that means to me, just like they did in the Auburn game, They've got to be willing to throw it on first down. I don't think they're just going to be able to line up, you know, I-formation football and pound the football without being willing to balance it out with some passing. You know, they won a lot of games this year with Jake Fromm throwing 10, 12, 15 passes a game. I think they've got to throw it more uh, to loosen up Oklahoma and really open up those run lanes for Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, but it's going to be a fascinating contrast in style. Uh, if it turns into a scoring fest, I think Georgia would have a tougher time keeping up. But if that game stays, you know, around 31, 33 points or less, I think Georgia would have a good chance of winning. My producer wanted me to ask you this since you're down in Alabama. 
Oh, who are you voting for today? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's an election today. <laughs> there you go, we're, Nick Saban, right we're there. We're worried about we're worried about Alabama and Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I was uh, I was actually up you guys' way. I was at, in Philly for uh, Army Navy. I had a meeting at the league office on Friday, and then uh, spent the Sunday at the Giants Cowboys game, and came home yesterday. Uh, it took me an hour and a half to get from our apartment there to LaGuardia after <laughs> That's that it? pipe bomb showed up. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. I know. Hey, it's... man, how about that Army-Navy game? Wasn't that a good one? It really was. You know, it's such a unique, standalone football tradition. I was telling one of my friends on our broadcast team, I said, you know, you don't compare it to Bama, Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan, because it's so different. And it's just, it's just such a special event. Man, if you're a football fan, you got to put it on your bucket list because the names change, obviously, but the two institutions don't. And you're just so impressed when you meet these people in person. I mean, the level of the level of operation, the level of detail uh, that they conduct themselves at in terms of their chosen vocation, chosen field—it's staggering. I walk away so impressed every year. Phil, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. We really appreciate the time this morning. Guys, not only today, but through the years, I've enjoyed all these interviews. I wish both of you the best of luck in whatever endeavors you're pursuing. And hopefully we'll catch up on the flip side somewhere. Without a doubt, we will. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, man. Okay, guys, really appreciate it. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.